Welcome to Music, Hope, Word, and Prayer, a podcast of rich music, hopeful prayer, and inspiring meditations with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service, with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word, and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ashes. Maybe y'all have been wondering where you've been, uh, but um, we're coming back after a, a, a kind of a hiatus on uh, this podcast. And so welcome back, uh, you all. And this is John Hilly, East Brentwood Presbyterian Church here in Nashville, Tennessee, along with Nate Strasser. Nate, how you doing? I'm pretty good. How about you? Yeah, well, I don't know, Nate. It seems like every conversation uh, at every meeting, uh, the topic of Nashville's traffic snarls and driving habits... Uh, is being talked about. Nate, you drive a, a lot around town these days. you have any stories of fools on the road? You know, I sort of have the gift of perspective when it comes to that, because I lived in Los Angeles for a while, and Nashville traffic on its worst day is nothing compared to L.A. traffic on its best day. So I've become pretty good at not taking it personally when someone cuts me off or, or beeps at me, because, you know, in L.A. that happens every day. So I've learned that, you know, they're not personally holding it against me, and and I wasn't always that way, but L.A. has sort of trained me well to just throw on my podcast and roll up my windows and, and sort of just block it all out. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was six years ago that we met. You were in town. Uh, you were living in L.A. at the time, and you were here. because you uh, one of your compositions was being recorded at Ocean, Ocean Way, and we met. And I could tell in the subtext, it was like, um, I'm ready for some picket fence of Middle Tennessee and to get out of the traffic snarls and... Uh, uh, what you got going in terms of a job. And so I'm so glad uh, that you made that move. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. Hey, so w- well, Wednesday night I was driving home and on, I was on Oz 65 heading north back into the city. And this car raced past me driving at this high speed, cutting across three lanes of traffic, zipping in and out between cars. And I blurted out, out to myself, look at that fool. And uh, if you spend any time in a car, I bet you have your own stories observing fools on the road. Um, and so... Uh, but it's it's easy to think that we are the mecca of fools here between um, the, the party buses downtown to uh, uh, to some of the the Nashville drivers. But then you're if you're not careful, you can get sucked into those reels on Facebook showing stupidity behind the wheel all around the world, and you realize there are fools everywhere. And then I look in the mirror sometimes and realize that a fool is following me wherever I go. And sometimes after a frustrating, humbling day, humbling day, I'll look in the mirror and sigh, and I'll say, just look at this fool. This week I had a conversation with someone who said to me, why don't you turn that sometimes sigh that you have about the fool that follows you around into a smile when that fool in you shows up? Smile and just say, hey, there you go again. So I'm turning to uh, this uh, this this topic of what does it mean to be a fool, to be foolish or a wise fool? And it's in, uh, it's in light of the passage that we have this morning or this day. It's a rework of what was shared on Sunday. And you're going to find that service uh, for January the 22nd on our YouTube channel. 
and the copy of my sermon on our website, ebpctn.org. But what you're going to find here and in this podcast episode is part of a series that we've been calling Trust Builders. And in what I want to share today, I really want to acknowledge the work of Brian Blunt. Um, uh, Brian Blunt is um, is a president at Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, and he was really helpful for speaking to our community as we're looking at our exciting future here, as we are looking at a master campus plan that we've spent the last six months studying and researching, working with architects. Some more about that can be found on our website. But what I want to do is kind of t- talk about uh, are we a wise fool or foolish when it comes to our own personal lives? And it's inspired by uh, Jesus calling the first of the disciples. Uh, the text is Matthew four twelve through 23. And uh, it, we've just finally started listening to The Chosen. And one of the call stories um, uh, is, is, is in that, is that episode of the calling of Simon and his brother Andrew. And about when Jesus had heard that Jesus had, uh, John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, and he went to uh, Capernaum by the sea, and uh, and then there's uh, he calls in mind the prophet Isaiah uh, that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And then from that time, Matthew says in Matthew four twelve through twenty three, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And the text says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Two more were called to and they followed. It's a crazy text. And my eye catches what seems to be foolish behavior by the disciples to drop everything and to leave it all behind. And when it came to our own ambitious master campus plan, I was thinking how I want to be a wise fool, but not foolish in taking on more than we can handle, especially considering the expense. Uh, Nate, that day you were listening to me talk and your mind was off and it sparked something in going in the a uh, different direction, and tell me a little bit more about that, Nate. Yeah, I like that term, a wise fool. I, I, I do believe you have to to dream big, you have to be a little bit foolish, especially at first. And there definitely comes a time to crunch numbers and be practical, and I think, you know, myself, I am much more practical than I was maybe 15 years ago, fresh out of college, <laughs> um, when you definitely was dreaming big. But I do think you have to sort of let go of your inhibitions for a bit and perhaps be a little bit foolish. Which got me thinking about the song, Here's to the Fools Who Dream, from the film La La Land. So on Sunday, I took that melody and I mashed it up with the hymn, Trust and Obey, um, as a reminder that whatever big dreams we pursue here should be in line with what God calls us to do and who God calls us to be. So I put that together, and I'm going to put that in the podcast as well today. Oh, yeah, great. You know, I never know where your mind goes while I'm talking, and, and sometimes I'm, do I. I'm not really sure where my mind goes while I'm talking. <laughs> but um, I like this di- direction, and I, I always like your mashups, especially when you put together two or more pieces that you would never think of belonging together until y- you point it out to us. So uh, um, so let's hear what you have done with a mashing up of an old, old hymn and a song from a, a major movie not long ago. Here's the prayer, um, and then uh, I'll come back with more 
uh, of what to say after the music. So, hey, the prayer is going to be Psalm 27. Uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in God's temple. For God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Amen. So you turn to that scripture in Matthew 4, and it's easy to say, look at those fools. Uh, did you catch what was going on? The disciples, what fools? And, and preachers love to talk about how the disciples were fools. Uh, what were the stories of Jesus feeding 5,000 in the wilderness with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish? And then uh, when the disciples go out on an overnighter with Jesus, they worry whether Jesus is going to let the disciples go hungry. And then there's Jesus calming the storm on the, sea, uh, st- storm on the sea, and they wonder, who is this guy? And then after Jesus is teaching the disciples that follow him means serving one another, the disciples ask, which one of the disciples is the greatest? Is it me? And who gets to sit next to you? Is it me? And get the coveted, this is your special day plate. Look at those fools. Well, probably that day, the human beings around the disciples were thinking it too. What fools? Because they too saw their inexplicable behavior. Simon and Andrew's dad, James and John's father, Zebedee. And then were there other family members looking on, like mothers and sisters and aunts and uncles? Maybe they saw it too, sitting on the seashore. They watched those four husbands and fathers who were 
needed in their families walk off those boats and walk out into some other life with this Jesus guy. Scholar N.T. Wright writes in his commentary that they were, in today's language, small businessmen working as families, not for huge profits, especially given the heavy taxation by the Roman government. If you're watching um, the show The Chosen, they certainly underscore that. But to make enough uh, to scrape together a living and have a little left over, they were small businessmen, like many of you all who may be listening. No questions asked. They just follow him. They just walk off their boats and walk away behind this man. They don't discuss it. Text doesn't appear that they come to say goodbye. They just go immediately. They just drop everything, the text says. It's easy to picture them and to say, fool. What makes the disciples do this? And that's a question that Brian Blunt is wondering. And it's what I'm wondering. Heck, it's probably what you're wondering too if you've looked at this text. As I said, Brian is president of Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm following much of his lead this week in in his sermon, Look at Those Fools. He searches for an explanation to this kind of behavior that leads him to Eugene Boring. And scholar Eugene Boring writes about this call story, and he says there's no parallel to such an unmotivated call story in all of ancient literature. It's unparalleled because it is unexplainable. As Boring concludes, four fishermen have a boat, and and employees indicates that they are not penniless peasants. They have something to leave, and they just leave it. I wonder. The disciples have to be asking the same thing about this Jesus who walks out of the wilderness and calls them to follow. They have got to be asking themselves, is this man with a crazy claim that the kingdom of God is at hand? He's quoting Isaiah. Sane or insane? Good or bad? I don't think they have an answer. They don't know, and yet they still follow. It's an example for us in this series that I've been taking us through where we're calling uh, the focus being trust builders to, f- to follow anything means to trust. It involves surrender, sacrifice, but also an accepting an invitation to be empowered by the living Christ. And we don't know if... Th- Those guys, their family, can possibly understand it. I know we struggle to understand it. And here's where I want to turn to David Jacobson, who says, if we are honest with ourselves, we will admit that we cannot understand because Jesus' call and the disciples' response to that call, and this is what he has that I think is important for us here, makes little sense in part because we may be inclined to confuse discipleship with a lifestyle choice, end quote. That's him and uh, David Jacobson preaching in the New Creation, the promise of New Testament apocalyptic text. You see, in the church, we use this word call, call to be a disciple. It sounds lofty. And while we talk in terms of our calling from being a priesthood of all believers, that's old-fashioned language, to being called to Matthew to go and make disciples. We know that our calling and our responsibilities and our wants and needs can easily get all twisted up when it comes to being called with making key decisions around issues of, let's say, family, being a provider for our children, 
of schools, of spouses, employment, of communities? Where's our comfort level of job expectations and realistic probability of living up to those expectations? And that's not calling. That's lifestyle. Oftentimes around church, our team of people who are responsible for making sure we have the resources we need to pay our bills, we'll stress utilities, building, upkeep, mission. And we talk about giving to God one's first fruits. Um, What we often hear is that people think of it in terms of a lifestyle decision, not a calling. How much can I realistically give to the church? How much disposable income can I dispose of to support the movement of what God may be asking us to do in our communities? How much can I set aside to patronize the church's vision of mission in this city? And uh, will I still have sufficient monies left over for my kids' college tuition, house payments, car payments, groceries, especially with inflation, inflation and living a little? And then we'd like to take a family trip. How much can I afford to give? Those are lifestyle decisions, and they're real, and they're important. Crucial lifestyle decisions, but lifestyle decisions nonetheless. And Brian Blunt has me thinking about this and our tendency to, um, when it comes to the disciple story, to reduce it to understanding it in terms of lifestyle decisions. You know, uh, Blunt says, on the boat... For the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, you ask, "What happens if I don't follow in the family fishing business?" On the boat on the Sea of Galilee, you ask, "What happens to my family if I'm not catching enough fish to earn enough of a living?" But off the boat and on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, you ask, "How do I follow this Jesus and bring my family safely and comfortably along?" On the boat, if you're thinking lifestyle, you're thinking about you and how to take care of you and the ones you love. And that's right. And that's appropriate. And that is exactly what is not happening in this text when Jesus calls his disciples and they follow. And Blunt says there's not a chance in Hades that the choice they make is an appropriate lifestyle choice. There's no lifestyle logic that makes their drop everything and follow Jesus' choice make sense. We don't have sense, Blunt says. We have flames. And I'll let you decide whether the disciples were wise fools or just fools. What was it Thoreau who would famously share centuries later, many men go fishing all of their lives without knowing that it is not fish they are after. And maybe that's why when the defining moment came that day on the shore of Galilee, when a stranger said to them, follow me, They knew what was tugging on them to follow. Now, it was at this point that my talk on Sunday went in the direction of talking specifically to my church community about how it is time for us to follow Jesus and what that looks like in terms of using our building and our space better. But for you, listener, today's message is more personal. What does it look like in your life to be the wise fool and to look at it not from a lifestyle decision, but from a sense of calling. Where is the flame burning inside you? Now, one of the things that strikes me in the story of Jesus calling his disciples is how Jesus uses the language of these people's actual 
workaday livelihood to summon them to something that will take them beyond the breakers, change them, and change the world. It was a pretty dramatic action that came from Jesus meeting Simon and Andrew to leave everything behind, but it didn't take burning bushes or miracles to make it count. Jesus came into the everyday and talked their language. Not long ago, I visited the Equal Justice Initiative's Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. I don't know if you've been there. It was incredibly impactful for me, and I'm still processing it. You can spend hours in this building. And I went into one of the little theaters, and there's a short film that keeps on looping back and forth about the Montgomery bus boycott. And you're introduced to Rosa Parks, who took what others saw as a foolish act and didn't move to the back of the bus. And it was her moment, her calling of responding to the call of Jesus to follow where she didn't get up. And it started a movement, and she became the wise fool. And then that brought in young Martin Luther King Jr. And in this film, he is talking. But before I do, because I'm talking about call language here, let me call to mind MLK's own call, where he would say elsewhere, my quote, I, my call to the ministry was neither dramatic nor spectacular. It came neither by some miraculous vision nor by some blinding light experience on the road of life. Moreover, it did not come as a sudden realization. Rather, it was a response to an inner urge that gradually came upon me. This urge expressed itself in his desire to serve God and humanity and the feeling that my talent and my commitment could best be expressed through the ministry. And yes, indeed it was. So I was struck in this theater, sitting there watching this young MLK Jr. giving the speech at the Montgomery Bus Boycott's first open meeting, and he's scrambling to try to put it all together The words are not lofty, but the task he sets himself is, and he says it right out front, is that he tries to connect us and to people to their value as human beings and their own dignity that will cause people to see that their dignity is at stake in what they would do next. And then that leads them to hold this whole setting of nonviolence. Because for him, dignity also required a certain kind of excellence of character, a certain kind of com- comportment and practice towards others. And, and what it does, it sets the stage along with Rosa Parks. They're, they're walking together. They've c- kind of gotten off the bus, if you will, to lead other people who would then refuse to ride the bus and would walk for 350 days, rain and shine, hot and cold, crippling the city economically as they walked to their jobs. And the average local non-empowered African-American worker felt empowered, and they would band together, and they would help each other out. They would give each other's rides. They would walk together, and it would be what MLK had in mind when he would say, years later at the March of Washington in 1963, in his I Have a Dream speech, I have seen the promised land. All those folks taking one step and then another, each following. In a way, 
their own sense of call surfaced. Now, perhaps your sense of call is similar, different, similar or different to the disciples, but there is something afoot in this world that invites you to respond to the tug. A nibble there, an unmissable yank on the fishing line to startle you from complacency or burnout. And maybe it's the Spirit of God speaking in language you know, as he did to the disciples fishing that day, reminding you that whatever you have brought with you or inside you, your job, your quirks, even your deep wounds, all that makes you you. And that is enough to connect you to the living Christ and to the depths of the soul of another and to a Christ-given mission in this life that will not let you go. And I invite you to listen to that. And for you to decide if you're foolish or a wise fool. And so I end with that thought that Nate shared at the opening, where he said, I believe to dream big, you do have to be a little foolish, especially at first. There can come a time for crunching numbers and being practical, but one can... Can't truly think of all the possibilities uh, uh, possibilities until you let go of their inhibitions for a bit and perhaps be a little foolish. So in the mashup of your life, here's to the fools who dream and to the song, Trust and Obey. Thank you for listening. Brentwood Presbyterian Church today for music, hope, word, and prayer. To learn more about the life and ministry of EBPC, our commitment to being a Matthew 25 congregation, or to support this ministry with a financial contribution, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org, or visit us on Facebook at East Brentwood PC, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, EBPC Videos. Thank you.